May that um, prayer that we've just sung, may may that be true for all of us uh, this morning, speaker and and hearer alike, that we will hear the Lord uh, speaking to each one of us. An aspect of our faith, um, really a a crucial aspect of our faith, an aspect which uh, I know our moderator, Susan, uh, feels quite passionate about and uh, what we should all feel passionate about. And that's prayer. Prayer. Our own, our own private times of prayer when we come to our Heavenly Father. But also collectively as we come to pray as a fellowship of uh, God's children, praying to God, what we've done uh, earlier in the service. So what really could be more appropriate than to look at the Lord's Prayer. Eric, Eric read it to us a moment ago. You know, countless sermons and numerous books and, and commentaries have been written about this prayer. It's enshrined in nearly all church, church liturgies. And you know, I find it quite interesting that uh, when Jesus introduced the prayer in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. This is not what you should pray. Or pray like this, as a number of other uh, translations put it. So it seems to me that in many respects it's a kind of template uh, for our prayers. And yet it's a template that is so complete that to thoughtfully use it, that Lord's Prayer, and I say thoughtfully use it, hugely benefits us. Benefits us spiritually. And to ignore Ignore the wonderful uh, words and, 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 and principles that it contains. How that is a great loss to us. A, a great disbenefit. You know, it seems to me that we can so easily come to the Lord uh, lightly. Without realising that we are in fact speaking to Almighty God. To Almighty God. In uh, uh, the book of Chronicles, there's a, a, a section in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, where the writer uh, talks about David and his prayer. And the words there are very similar uh, to what is picked up in the Lord's Prayer. Let me read it to you. David prays the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exhort and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I think you can see there uh, a parallel with the Lord's Prayer with the Lord's Prayer itself. You know, to do justice to the, to the whole prayer would take a series of talks, not just, not just one, one talk. So I just want to focus on the opening phrases. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed, hallowed be thy name. 
using the words of the authorised version, which is a prayer which we normally pray when we pray as a congregation. I was struck by something that Belle said way back in July in her testimony before she was uh, baptised. She spoke very meaningfully uh, about the Heavenly Father, her, her Heavenly Father. And it came across, certainly came across to me, that he is very real and prominent in her life. Now isn't that the relationship that we all want with God? A God who is almighty, the creator of the universe, sovereign and all-powerful. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And yet our Father, our Father, Abba Father, who longs for an intimate relationship and a loving relationship with his children, with you and with me, our Father. And you know, I think that, wonderf- that uh, wonderful mystery is all wrapped up in that opening phrase, infinite in his sovereignty, infinite in his majesty, and at the same time, infinite in his love and mercy. Our Father, our Father who, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I went to a boys' uh, secondary school, state school, in uh, East London. It had, we had an assembly every morning at the start of the day. I can't quite remember whether it was, because I'm getting old now, you see, I can't quite remember whether it was um, every day or uh, just two or three times a week. But we had this assembly. And uh, we had a hymn accompanied by two pianos. One was played by the music master and the other was played by one of the boys. And what you might find surprising is that when we sang those hymns, they were sung with great gusto. Amazing. I remember one particular hymn, For All the Saints Who From Their Labours Rest. How many of you know that hymn? Oh, quite a few. For All the Saints Who From Their Labours Rest. And we sang all eight verses, would you believe. And by the time we came to the end, we were singing very loudly. Uh, you could imagine uh, 600 boys singing at the top of their voices. Um, the, 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 the room almost shook with the sound, the sound of us. And what glorious words they are. For lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The king of glory passes on his way. Alleluia. From earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coasts, through gates of pearl streams in the countless host, singing to Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Alleluia. We don't say hallelujah enough, do we? I don't think anyway. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. You know, those last couple of lines in, in that, uh, in that uh, ver- uh, hymn are a grand affirmation of the destiny for all those who are God's children, those who have been born again into his kingdom and looking forward, looking forward with great anticipation for an eternity with our Heavenly Father. Is that your anticipation? Is that your anticipation? Our Father who art in heaven. And let's hold fast to that expression, that word, uh, born again. You know, it's a wonderful picture. A wonderful picture and expression. To quote Jesus himself, 
uh, in a conversation that he was having. It's recorded in John's Gospel, in a conversation with Nicodemus. He said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Unless he is born again, ready to be at home in God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Many years ago, when, uh, when I was a deacon, Graham Watts, who some people here will, I think will remember, had just joined us. And all the deacons uh, met up with Graham uh, in the manse, which at that time was in Barnmead. And we, we met up to get to know uh, one another better as much as anything else, but certainly to get to know, to get to know Graham. And at that gathering, we went round introducing ourselves. And for some reason, um, which today I can't really understand, and I, in some respects I feel quite embarrassed about it, we started putting any letters we had after our name, professional, professional qualifications. <laughs> One member was a, a consultant a structural engineer, and he had a whole string of letters after his name. It all sounds rather pompous, doesn't it, and self-promoting, and of course it was in many respects. Although I have to say it was all done in a very, very light-hearted way. Peter Humphrey. Sorry about this, Sheila. I hope you don't mind. Peter Humphrey was a, a, a deacon at the time. And when it was his turn, he announced his name in full, followed by the letters B.A. Well, we all knew butch, uh, Peter was a butcher. So perhaps it was a butcher's qualification, we thought. However... Peter went on to enlighten us, enlighten us with a twinkle in his eye, saying, Peter Humphrey, B.A., Peter Humphrey, born again. <laughs> you, know, you know how that trumped all the rest of us, trumped all the rest of us. Going back to those, uh, to those school days and that assembly that I mentioned a moment ago, as well as hymn singing, we had a Bible reading, which was usually read uh, by the school captain. The headmaster would read a, a set prayer, and then we would together recite the Lord's Prayer. You know, I don't know what impact that really had on my school chums. So often it can be recited, can't it, parrot fashion, without taking in the implications of the words that we're saying. The problem that we can all fall into if we're not careful. A number of us, old school friends and myself, uh, classmates and members of the old boys' football team that I used to play in, we meet up for reunions every now and again. In fact, we've got one coming up just before for Christmas. Recently, it has been curtailed, I have to say, because of COVID, but recently we did meet up. We met up at a Thanksgiving service uh, for one of our teachers, he was a teacher who also played in the old boys' football team uh, as well. He was our PE teacher. And at the service, at the church that he attended with his, with his wife, it became very apparent that he had a deep, a deep Christian faith. To that teacher, Dave, Almighty God truly was his heavenly father. And it has shown shown very much in the way he conducted himself. You know, I'm sure he would have said that opening line of the Lord's Prayer with great personal conviction. Our Father, my Father, my Father, hallowed be thy name. 
course, there is a mystery in those two features uh, of God's character at the beginning of the prayer. God is such a loving God. The Bible makes that so very clear, doesn't it? Our Father. That wonderful psalm about God's love and mercy towards his children. Psalm, psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know, there's an apparent contradiction there, isn't there, in that uh, uh, quotation. Uh, a father who loves us, a compassionate father, whose children fear, whose children fear a God who is holy. Now, the Amplified Bible expands and clarifies that and says, this fear of God is worshipful fear. Worshipful fear, reverence and awe. You know, such a sentiment as that's in that Psalm 103 uh, are picked up in an old spiritual that used to be sung. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Reaches to the lowest hell. You know, no one, no one, no matter how far they may have fallen into the deepest depths of sin is outside of the reach of God and his infinite love. Isn't that marvellous? Nobody, nobody is outside of the reach of almighty God. But God's love is not cheap, is it? Not cheap. It cost his life in the death, death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where in that sacrificial and substitutional act, he took the sins of us all of you and me, and carried them into his own death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No, all of us, all of us have to face Almighty God to be judged at some time, some to experience the wrath of God in total eternal separation from him. Perhaps that's something, uh, a subject, a truth, that might make us feel very uncomfortable. That we rarely hear these days, it seems to me. Even though it's written loud and clear in Scripture, in the Bible. And others, others to experience by his grace, his infinite love, our unmerited love, compassion and mercy, for an eternal life with him. An eternal life with him in glory. Through gates of pearl stream in the countless hosts, singing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Alleluia! Alleluia! Saved by the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb uh, without blemish or defect, as Peter describes him in his, one of his letters. You know, I think sometimes we forget that God is God, almighty, all-powerful, all-seeing, perfectly and infinitely holy. Hallowed, holy be thy name. You know, the New Living Translation of the Bible puts what I think is, is really quite a helpful and telling slant 
on that opening line. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. You know, we worship Almighty God, not Almighty God, as an ex-moderator of our church once said, uh, George Cumming. Something that I think we should always acknowledge and keep in mind. Almighty God, not Almighty God. In our relationship to him. And also in the impression that we give to those around about us. May your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. You know how we, each one of us, with the help and and guidance of the Holy Spirit, how we should live pure and holy lives ourselves as we seek to keep our Lord's name holy. As that old cliche puts it, may our walk match our talk. May our walk match our talk. Many years ago, I uh, uh, worked in the uh, surveyors department at Essex County Council. And during that time, I attended an in-house course on traffic and transportation. I can see you glazing over. Um, (laughs) And uh, they were two engineering, uh, higher engineering disciplines that I was pretty light on. And it was a pretty intense course uh, in an afternoon, one afternoon a week for, for quite several weeks. And halfway through the afternoon, we'd have a break for a, for a cup of tea or something like that, and any snack that we might have brought along. Now, I'm rather partial to Mars bars. <laughs> so my snack was always a Mars bar. And in fact, it came a bit of a joke with all the others um, when I got my Mars bar out. And on one occasion, well into the course... I got my Mars bar out and I was unwrapping it and I looked around and everyone had a Mars bar. <laughs> They'd all brought Mars bars. You can imagine a good laugh was had by everybody. Now, why am I relating this rather silly story? Well, simply to illustrate how people do observe us and particularly as Christians, perhaps more often and more closely than we realise. And they're very often a quick to see when our walk doesn't match our talk, when our walk doesn't match our talk. Maybe we acknowledge uh, that we'll never reach perfection. But, you know, that shouldn't stop us from responding to the exhortation of Jesus himself when he said, again recorded in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Apostle Peter picked that up in the opening chapter of his first letter. Quoting from the Old Testament, he says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 16, using a similar phrase, be holy, because I am holy. And he emphasises the all-embracing application of this when he proceeds that verse 16 with verse 15, when he says this, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So be holy in all you do. And you know, it's a sobering thought to acknowledge that as his children, born again into God's family, we should reflect a certain divine holiness. As has often been said, the only perception that many people will have of our Lord is what they see in us, what they see in you, what they see in me. Or as the Sermon on the Mount puts it, Matthew 5 and verse 16, Quoting from the Good News Bible this time, in the same way your light must shine before people so that they will see the good things you do 
and praise your Father in heaven as we go about our everyday lives at home, at work, in the office, on the playing field, with our friends, with our family, with our neighbours, what we read, what we watch, what we look at, in our language, and so on. Be holy in all you do. You know, that phrase, in all you do, struck me quite forcibly when I was preparing for this morning. Uh, And it was underlined by, by a verse I read in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You know, such a truth would surely bar me from any contact, any relationship with Almighty God. Hallowed, holy be thy name. Remember those stark words in in Exodus when God said to his servant Moses, no one may see me and live without holiness. No one will see the Lord. So what chance do I have? What chance do I have? And then I remembered the wonderful grace of God the wonderful grace of God in our Saviour and what he did for me, what he did for me at Calvary. Again, as the writer of the Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 onwards, using the picture of the old uh, covenant priesthood. I'll read it all. It's worth reading all the verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, this was the holy of holies, in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. Uh, since we have a privilege, no one else could go in there except the, except the high priest. But now it's confidence for all. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Aren't they some of the most wonderful, wonderful and reassuring words in Scripture as they describe the wonder of God's grace through Christ's sacrifice? Let me quote to you something else that I read recently. And I'm quoting... When you consider that when God purposed to fashion the universe, you were so important to him that he determined to send his son into the world to die for you, the only appropriate response is prayer, prayer of adoration and confession. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Horatius Bonner put it like this in one of his well-known hymns, No blood no altar now, the sacrifice is o'er. No flame, no smoke ascends on high, the lamb is slain no more. But richer blood has flowed from richer veins, richer blood has flowed from richer veins, to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains, to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. Aren't they wonderful words? Wonderful words, wonderful sentiments words and sentiments that should really drive us to our knees in worship uh, and adoration of Almighty God. There's a chorus that I used to sing, used to sing in Sunday school, 
words that encapsulate the love, the grace and the mercy of God. Words that have stayed with me down the years. I wonder how many of you will recognise this chorus. People of my age, I expect. Um, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. And to me, you know, those, those simple words illustrate the wonder of the mystery of those two phrases, those two features of God's character at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Gracious Father, our Merciful Father. But the Father who is altogether holy, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be thy name. But notwithstanding his holiness and divine sovereignty, we can find liberty. We can find liberty as a result of Calvary. A number of us here will remember uh, Dermot MacDonald. He was a member with his wife Anne uh, of HHBC. He was a highly respected evangelical theologian who taught in a number of theological colleges both in the UK and in North America. He wrote numerous books. Some were very academic, but many with a much, much wider appeal. He often used very memorable turns of phrase. Uh, one concerned the forgiveness we receive through the grace of God in our salvation. How we should dispel, dispel any continuing sense of guilt. And he said this, and I quote, I think it's on the screen. It is wrong, indeed dangerous, to the soul's health to visit the graveyard of forgiven sin, to tamper with the tomb in which the past is forever buried. Let me say that again. It is wrong, indeed dangerous, to the soul's health to visit the graveyard of forgiven sin, to tamper with the tomb in which the past is forever um, buried. Back in the 1970s, Billy Graham wrote a book, um, a book that's become somewhat of a, a minor, minor classic, and he entitled it, How to Be Born Again. How to Be Born Again. And in the preface to the book, having described the achievements and the uh, aspirations of people, he went on to write, but the central theme of the universe is the purpose and destiny of every individual. Every person is important in God's eyes. Every person is important in God's eyes. And Graham then went on to quote probably the most well-known verse in the whole of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. Now let me ask you a question. And uh, I hope you won't be offended offended by the question. Have you been born again? Have you been born again like dear Peter Humphrey, now at home in glory with his Lord? Born again to the point uh, where you can certainly say in the Lord's Prayer, 
our Father, my Father, my Father, hallowed be thy name. And for those of us who can truly say that, how much do we authenticate that in our lives? Does our walk match our talk in all that we do? We've heard numbers, uh, numerous stories over recent days, haven't we, concerning the Queen? And one story that made me smile uh, concerned an encounter she had with two American tourists. Uh, it happened in the Highlands of Scotland. I suspect you may have heard it yourselves. It's, it's been going around quite a bit. The Queen was out walking with one of her gillies. And the tourists, not, not recognise her, asked if she had met the Queen. And she replied that she hadn't, but the person walking with her had. <laughs> now I wonder, if someone asked you if you had met, if you had had an in- encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ, your honest answer might have to be, no, I haven't, but the person I'm with, which you knew was a Christian, the person I'm with has You know, an encounter with our Lord is personal. It's not remote. It's not remote or impersonal. A few weeks ago in our fellowship group, uh, we watched a video about Billy Graham. It was a sort of documentary. And as you would expect, it, it showed a few extracts from his sermons. One that struck me was about reassurance and our ongoing walk with our Lord. He said, as God's children, saved by grace, we shouldn't worry about clinging on to the Lord. In those times of doubt in particular, we shouldn't worry about clinging on to the Lord. The truth is, he clings on to us. He clings on to us. One of the greatest theological uh, minds of the 20th century was Karl Barth. And he was once asked by one of his students, and you've probably heard this story as well because it's pretty well known, he was asked what he, what Karl Barth, considered the most important doctrinal truth. And he replied with the words of a children's chorus, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, I trust that that's a, Uh, a confident sentiment that's true for all of us. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it tells us. We thank you that it shows so much about the life and the living Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that Uh, he may become ever closer to each one of us. And perhaps if there's anybody here who doesn't know that reassurance of having uh, a deep sense of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us, that you will speak to them uh, and that they will uh, know for a certainty that you are their father. They are a child of yours. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.